All right, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 1, just um, kind of wading into this narrative from the Bible about Hannah and Elkanah and their desire to have uh, a son. Uh, Hannah had another, uh, there was another wife in the family, and she had children. Peninnah had children, but Hannah couldn't have children. And so we're going we're gonna to actually begin uh, kind of just rehe- re- reviewing a little bit. Anybody, by the way, anybody not get a lesson when you came in? One, we need one right back there, Brother Bland. And a couple of them. Yeah, thank you. So we're going to begin reviewing, if you're looking at your notes, number one, about Hannah's burden. And this was a burden. You know, the more I've studied this and thought about it, it just really strikes me, it impresses me, the intensity of this burden that she had. And I have to confess to you, sometimes I pray about things, sometimes I bring things to the Lord, um, and I bring them with kind of measure, various measures of intensity. Sometimes I don't treat it that serious, sometimes I treat it more seriously. Um, And there have been times in my life when I just, it's, that, it, that's all I could think about. And that's where Hannah was. That's all she could think about was this burden. She, verse 10, just to kind of again uh, backing up just a bit, but verse 10 it says, She was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. So we have this intense, emotional, desperate place that she was in. And maybe you've been there in some time in your life. Maybe as you know, it's like a parent who's got a child that's very sick, and there's just something about that that just breaks your heart. Or maybe you're praying about something else, a loved one, whatever. So she was brokenhearted about this in bitterness of soul. And just again, in verse 7, it says, the last part of verse 7, she wept and did not eat. And she, verse 10, she's in bitterness of soul. So that's where she is. Um, if you're filling in the blanks there, in number C, she wept and could not eat. You know, I've prayed a lot of times when I didn't weep, but I've prayed at times when I couldn't keep from weeping. You know, so it's just, I'm, I just want to say this is a lesson not about the act of praying, but about the manner in which she prayed. And I confess to you that sometimes I pray for things too lightly. But she was not praying lightly. This was, this was everything to her. And of course, in the notes there, just a reminder, her grief was kind of exasperated by the hurt from a Penina's taunting. So the Bible says in verse 8 that after, uh, or verse 9, after they'd eaten, after they had drunk, the family had, that she rose up. In verse, the latter part of verse 9 says, Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the door. So she gets up and goes to the temple. And she's not going in there to offer sacrifice. She's going in there to pray. And it tells us that, that uh, Eli was, was there seated. He was the high priest. He was seated there and so she went there specifically to pray and as I was thinking about this yesterday I was thinking about 
the importance of not only us praying and the way we pray, but even special places of prayer. You know, um, you, in our services, sometimes people will come to the altar and pray. And I've, I've come in here many times, many, many times over the years when nobody's in this building and come up here and pray at this altar, up, sit up on the platform and pray. And it's just a building, but there's some places to me that really lend themselves to pray, to prayer. And so, so here she's coming to this temple and she's coming into it pr to pray. In verse 11, just to remember, remind, let's look at verse 11 again, then we're going to get to our new text. Verse 11. We covered this briefly last week. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy, thine handmaid, look on my affliction, see, just see where I'm at, talking to the Lord, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaiden. Please don't forget me. She refers to herself as a handmaid twice. Look on the affliction of thine handmaid. Don't forget thine handmaid. A handmaid is a servant. She's saying, I'm your servant. Don't forget me. I'm your servant. And if you'll remember me and give unto thine handmaid a man child. Very specific prayer. She doesn't just want a baby. She wants a son, a man child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Of course, that's the vow of a Nazarite. No razor will come upon his head. And so, so, you know, it's a very fervent prayer, a persistent prayer. You know, I was... Uh, I put the notes down here in your note on James 5.16, where James said... Um, Confess your faults one to another. That means make sure your heart is right. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. And then he talks about the effectual, fervent prayer. Effectual and fervent prayer. Of a righteous man availeth much. So again, it's about not just the, man, the act of praying, but the intensity of praying. You know, I, we pray, you know, we pray over every meal, and, uh, but that's not intense, that's not fervent praying. That's quick praying, especially if you're hungry. That's not intense praying. But this is the kind of praying that keeps you awake at night, seeking the Lord. She used this language, I'm pouring out my soul, pouring out my heart before the Lord. And this uh, Luke 18 is a... Let's go to that real quickly. Keep your place there in 1 Samuel 1 and go, if you would, to Luke, the Gospel of Luke 18. I'm, I just want to quickly look at this passage without a lot of detail, but it specifically had to do with in pers persevering in prayer. Um, verse 1, Luke 18, 1. Jesus says, and he spake a parable unto them to this end. This is the purpose. This is the purpose, the reason. To this end, he spake this parable, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Don't, not to faint means don't quit praying. That's, that's, Hannah prayed without fainting. She didn't just pray once or twice. She didn't just pray 
with a heavy heart. She prayed for years. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. And here he gives this parable, verse 2, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God nor regarded man. There's still some of those judges around, by the way, <laughs> that feared not God nor the regarded man. There, but there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him. She came to the judge saying, Avenge me of my adversary. Give me some relief. Help me. And he would not for a while. He let her let it ride. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, this is the parable Jesus is telling. I don't fear God, and I don't respect this person. I don't respect man. Yet, because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Jesus told this parable. I'm only going to give her some relief because she won't give me any relief. And the Lord said, just what Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge said. Hear what he just said. He's going to answer her even though he doesn't even fear God or care about her. Just to get her off my back. Verse 7, and shall not God avenge his own elect? which cried day and night unto him, though he bear along with them. It may take a while, but if, if this judge will hear an answer, won't God hear an answer? Verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. He will come through. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now that's an interesting phrase because he's talking about faith and prayer and persevering. Importunity is a word that Jesus used in another place. And he called this faith. Sometimes people have the idea if you pray one time, if you keep praying, it's because you don't believe. But Jesus said this was an example of real faith, a faith that will not stop asking, a faith that will not stop believing. And that's the faith that Hannah had. She just would not stop asking. So... Back to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to move into some new territory here in verse uh, 12. So she makes this vow. We talked about vows last week, the importance of vows and why people shy away from making vows. Verse 12 says that it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord. She's in the temple. She's praying. She won't stop praying. As she continued praying that Eli, that's the high priest, marked her mouth. That means he observed. He's watching her lips. She, he's, he's paying attention. He's observing. Verse 13 says, now Hannah, she spake in her heart. She was talking to God in her heart. Only her lips were moving, her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. <laughs> what a brilliant high priest. <laughs> so he's watching her pray. B in your notes, number two, Eli, Eli's misunderstanding. I didn't give you that blank. Eli's misunderstanding. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't understand. B because she was praying silently, Eli thought she was drunk. She was, by the way, she, I, I find that praying out loud helps me stay focused when I pray. But, but to her credit, she wasn't praying for anybody to hear her. 
you know, that's just the opposite. We were in Luke 18 a moment ago. In that passage in Luke 18, Jesus goes right directly from that teaching into the next teaching where he said, two men went up to the temple to pray and one prayed thus with himself. He was praying about, he was just praying to himself. He wanted people to hear him. But, but she was praying silently and he assumed she was drunk. Verse 14, and Eli said unto her, how long wilt thou be drunken? He falsely accused her. And then he rebukes her. Put away thy wine from thee. <laughs> it's not funny, is it? So he rebuked her for her drunkenness. And she says in verse 15, Now Hannah answered and said, This is such a tribute to this woman. Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, little L, Lord, a common word for someone that you're showing respect to, someone who's a leader. No, she's being very respectful to him. No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. Don't think that I'm a drunken woman. Don't think that I'm an evil woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. So, Eli misunderstood, small letter D there under two, she respectfully defended herself. She said, I'm, I'm a brokenhearted woman, and I'm pouring out my heart to God. You know, as I was reading over this passage, I was reminded of uh, David's prayer in Psalm 21, or 51, excuse me, when after his sin with Bathsheba and he was repenting to God and he, he said near the end of that psalm that God's not looking for you know burnt offerings and sacrifices but he'd said this then uh, that God um, that a broken and contrite heart O God thou wilt not despise God will not despise a broken heart a contrite heart. That's where Hannah was. She, was. she was pouring out her soul to God and uh, pouring out her heart to God. Number two under D there, Hannah was concerned about her testimony also. She didn't want Eli to see her as a being a drunken or evil woman. Now, I'll mention this again perhaps, but... Number E there under number two, it's common sometimes for us to misinterpret what's going on in the lives of others. This is what Eli was. Eli looked, saw her lips moving. She wasn't saying anything. He assumed she had been, she had been at wine in the morning already. She was drunk. But when I hear that, I think, you know, I, I think we could all be guilty of that sometimes. Things aren't always as they appear. We read things into things. We see things. We assume things when they're really not true. And by the way, just a, another a, example of her character, there's nothing in this. Here, think about this woman. She can't have a child. She's begging God for a baby. Uh, Hannah and I's other wife, Peninnah, is taunting her and mocking her and falsely accusing her. Now Eli, the high priest, 
is misjudging her, criticizing her, rebuking her because she's drink, drinking. and you got all this stuff going on, and yet whenever she responded to him, this is so important to me, she did so with respect. There's nothing in her character, nothing in her response that would say, I'm tired of this. Why is everybody doing this? Why am I being mistreated? None of that there. She referred to him as Lord and just wanted to keep her, her testimony intact. Just a great tribute to this woman, uh, Hannah. So that brings us to number three. And that's Hannah's promise. And this is an interesting verse uh, to think about, this, the, the next verse. Verse uh, 17 and 18, excuse me, two verses. Then after, after she explained to Eli that it wasn't wine that was causing this, it was her broken heart. Verse 17, then Eli answered and said, go in peace and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. Now, so that's going to be number three, Hannah's promise. Now notice, that, let's just look carefully here at verse 17. Go in peace, Eli said, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. Now, him saying, let's just imagine that Hannah says, I'm brokenhearted, I want to have a child, I'm begging God. Don't misunderstand what I'm doing. And then he said, the Lord grant thee thy petition. It's, it could be that he's just joining her, her prayer saying, I'm praying that you'll get, I, I'm praying you'll get what you want. The Lord grant thee according to thy petition. Or it could be like he's speaking prophetically. The Lord's going to give you, the Lord's going to give you what you're asking. And by reading it, you can't really tell which one it is. Are you with me so far? The Lord grant thee thy petition. And, but the way she responds in verse 18, and she said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat and her countenance was no more sad. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. That's what she did, right? She left it there. Now, I'm of the persuasion, and I can't, I think it's a little bit unclear here, but I'm of the persuasion that he was, he was speaking prophetically and saying, the Lord grant thee thy petition. And she took that. She took that as an answer. She took, because her, her whole countenance was changed at that point. Her sadness had left and been replaced by gladness. The tears were gone. She, her, she's hungry now. I, I want something to eat. She couldn't eat before because she was so burdened. But now she could. She got, she, in her heart, her prayer had been answered which there's some things about this that intrigue me. And one of them is Eli was a, 
when you get another chapter or two over, you're going to see that Eli was a really a misguided soul. His two sons were evil, and he didn't correct them, and God's going to judge him for it. But still, what he said was true. The Lord grant thee thy petition. Right? And so, so that's what that means, that little statement in small letter B under Hannah's promise. Despite the spiritual problems in Eli's house, he was able to assure Hannah that her prayers would be answered. And she believed it. See, Hannah believed it. Number one, under C, faith believes things not yet seen. She believed it. She took this to the bank. Eli, Eli the high priest who can't even keep his own house in order, who's, who's rebelling against God, he said, my prayers are answered and that's good enough for me. Let's have some, let's have some pizza. So, um, these references down here, I'm not going to take the time to read them, but one of them was Luke chapter 1. That's about Mary when the Lord made it clear to Mary, a woman who's never had intimate relationships with a man, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the Messiah. She said, be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever you say, I'm on board with it. So she was being obedient to him. So D at near the bottom of the page, Hannah ate her sadness left when she believed God's promise. She really had put it in his hands. And you know, maybe you've been there sometime when you were praying about something and you needed a hope, you needed direction. Maybe you prayed about it for a long time and then you just had peace. God is going to answer this. And that's exactly where Hannah was at that time. Now on the back of the page, I'm going to have to kind of pick up the pace a little bit here. Give us a little time for comments and questions. Practical lessons. And I just want to read through these. A, the best place to take our burdens is to the Lord. You know, sometimes I, I tend to dwell on them and overthink them and imagine the worst. But we need to take them to the Lord. B, like Hannah... Christian parents should raise children for the Lord. She said, if you'll give me a son, I'll do everything I can to raise that boy right, and he'll be dedicated to you his whole life. See, like Eli, if we're not careful, we can believe things about others that are not accurate. I've done it. I'm sure we've all done it. And D, when we're struggling and hurting, we should seek for help and comfort from God's Word. I mean... This, this, this word of encouragement did not, it did not come directly from God. It came through Eli. But she took it to the bank. And she said, I believe this is going to happen. And that's really where we need to find, you know, all of us can have a tendency when we're struggling or going through something to want to talk about it. Talk to our husband, talk to our wife, talk to our friend, talk to anybody that will listen. But and that's good, it's comforting, it's helpful sometimes just to be able to, we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. But the only real help comes when we take it to the Lord and ask God to help. So, so um, let's think about this together. And I, and I told you last week, last week was the first week I had the class. I told you last week, I'm going to continue to teach this class when I'm in town. 
uh, provided you give me some response every once in a while. If you don't, if you don't then, uh, then you get to teach the next lesson. So what, number A, under questions and discussion, what can we learn from the intensity and persistence of Hannah's praying? I think that's an important, I think that's a, a very important lesson in this, in this passage. Hannah's prayer, Hannah's praying, in many ways did not resemble my praying much of the time. There was an intensity, there was a, an emotion, there was a commitment. You know, when Jesus taught about praying in Matthew 7, he said, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocks it shall be opened. And then he said, For what man of you, if your son shall ask for a piece of bread, will you give him a serpent? Will you give him a rock? And then he says, if you being wicked and evil know how to do good things for your children, how much more will your Father in heaven? But that matter of seeking, asking and seeking and knocking is more than just praying one time or praying casually. There was a difference. So what can we learn about this intensity of praying? Is that Steve? It's a, I agree completely, yeah. It's, she, she had this, this dedication, this discipline about praying. She didn't forget about it. Sometimes we, I'll do that. I'll pray about something. And, but there's something about when it becomes so burdensome, you just can't do anything but pray, and that's where she was. Anybody else, anything about that, thought about that aspect of praying? Okay, second thing. Just going back to her vow, whose duty is it to teach our children what I call the principles of separation? That's the Nazarite. You know, we can't, we can't, when our children are adults, they make their own decisions. We can't control what our children do as adults, but as, children, as parents, we're to teach them to be dedicated to God. That's what a Nazarite was, dedicated to God in a very special way. And it's our duty as parents and even as grandparents, you know, to continue in that. See, Hannah serves as an example, and I love to think about this, of a godly woman who had to deal with false accusations. And what can we learn from her? False accusations. You know, these accusations sometimes come from within, from our own mind, accusing us. Sometimes they come from without. Sometimes the devil puts ideas in our head to accuse us. You know, God doesn't, God's not going to answer you. You're not worth anything. God could never use you. There's no hope for you. All these, are, all these things are lies. But Hannah was a great example um, to me of how to deal with false accusations. We've been reading in the Psalms, a psalm a day. And some of y'all follow that same prescription through the, um, our Bible reading God and man David always talks about this these thoughts that come to his mind these accusations my enemies are assaulting me and taunting me and I'm telling you it's a it's a spiritual battle any thoughts about that 
you guys are, yes. Yeah. Right. It's a good. Is this true? This what I'm. This idea I had. This idea I had that there's no hope for me. This idea I had that the diagnosis is going to be bad. This idea that bothers me. Is it true? That's a good good first step. And if it's not true, then we don't need to be dwelling on it. And if it's not true, where did it come from? It come from the father of lies. You know, he's the liar from the beginning, Jesus said. Anybody else? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She was a woman of great characters. Mary said she was, even when falsely accused, even being down and despondent, depressed. Um, and she was depressed. But she didn't treat him. She didn't lash out at him. She didn't judge him. She was very gracious. Like we always are, right? No. Huh. We're kind of we're going to pick up the pace as we go through this, but I just it's, I've just been really you know, sort of drawn to this whole episode, the drama of what she's going through and how how we can relate to that. Okay, Dee, can you relate to the way Eli came to the wrong conclusion about Hannah's behavior? And I can. Lots of times I've thought something to be so that wasn't so. You know, I, I thought this morning or yesterday morning, that scripture in Proverbs 18 where it says, uh, he that, Proverbs 18, 13, he that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it's folly and shame to him. In other words, we, we come out with an answer before we even really understand what's going on. And it's, and it's we, you know, that's why the Bible says in James, be... Uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Quick to listen. Make sure you get the information. Slow to speak. Don't be so quick to say anything. Slow to wrath. And that all has to do with character and uh, not jumping to conclusions. Okay, finally, E. What a difference it made when Hannah knew her prayer was answered. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong. I'm going to go to Psalm for a minute, Psalm 43. Why don't you turn there and we'll finish up there. There's nothing wrong with being burdened about things. There's nothing wrong with being brokenhearted about things. There's nothing wrong with earnestly and passionately fervently praying for things that we believe are God's will. And sometimes, you know, I said this last week, sometimes God waits to answer because He's going to give us something better. God knows. God knows what we need. God knows when we need it. Uh, but I was just reading this psalm maybe yesterday. 
or the day before. Psalm 43. Let's just, just notice this. Judge me, O God, and plead my cause. God, you judge me and you plead my cause. You defend me against an ungodly nation. Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So he's describing this, this struggle, this battle, this, this emotional battle. I'm mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. And then verse 3 says, and this is kind of what happened to Hannah, verse 3. Oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. I don't want to be led by the accuser. I don't want to be led by imagination. I don't want to be led by my feelings. Send out thy light and thy truth. Give me truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me, light and truth, let them bring me into the, thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Help me. Let them bring me into your presence. You know, <coughs> deception and lies and false accusations lead us to a place of worry. They lead us to a place of fret. They lead us to a place of anxiety. But truth leads us to a place of peace, into God's presence, into a place of, of um, rest. And verse 4 says, then, go I, then will I go into the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Then I'm going to come into the presence of God. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God. I'm going to give praise to thee. And then look at this verse 5, which we see also a couple of times in the previous psalm. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God. He's talking to his soul, talking to himself. Why are you down? Why are you discouraged? Why are you disquieted? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who, talking about God, him who is the health of my countenance and my God. So it's a good, it's a good, to me it's a good example the psalmist here had of what Hannah went through. How discouraged, how despondent, how, how down she was, and yet when she got direction from God, her perspective changed. She didn't have a baby yet, but she had the peace that he's on the way.